Welcome to the Victory Life Church Podcast. We believe it's important to present an uncomplicated and uncluttered view of Christ and how we should live. We hope this podcast inspires you and helps build your faith. If you ever find yourself in the area, come check us out. For more information on services and events, visit us at vlcministries.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at VLC Plantation. Well, it's good to be with you this morning as we think about opening up the book of Esther. We're going to be looking at that. Sort of, this is what's happening in the book of Esther. Have you ever questioned whether God is doing something in your life or in our country? You're wondering, what is he up to? It's easy to assume there is an absence of his working where there is an absence of his speaking. Yet if we truly believe what Romans 8:28 teaches us, I'm sure all of you could repeat it with me, all things work together for the good to them that love God, to them that love God, to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. He'll make all things work out. I'll repeat this phrase over and over again. God will take every poor decision, every good decision you make, run it through the the meat grinder of the kingdom of God, and out will come his will, his purposes. Isn't that amazing? He'll take your poor decision, he'll take your good decisions, and make it work out for his glory and his purpose. So, so it doesn't matter how bad your situation is, you must believe that God is in control. When we look out across America, we're probably wondering, is God in control? Well, Esther, she would discover this very truth. A young Jewish girl faced with the reality of her people, that is, God's people, would soon all be killed. Yet given a chance, through the providence of God, she would have a chance to save her people. She would have to literally put her life on the line. It's a story about intercession and deliverance, about conspiracies, vengeance, and purpose. A story on one hand that appears to be a simple historical account, and on the other hand, a carefully crafted piece of literature genius. A story where God is working behind the scenes, uses ordinary people like you and me to accomplish extraordinary things or really God's purpose. Now I'm going to refer to this from time to time because when I, when I thought about the book of Esther, I thought about what's happening behind the scenes. And with your spiritual eyes and my spiritual eyes, we'll see a lot that the normal reader will not see. And I look at life as a great chess match. You will continually see the providence of God, which is a key word, by the way, the providence of God, the great controller, I've entitled this morning's message, the great controller. And so the first thing I'd like you to see is, is God in the book of Esther? Will you find his name in the book of Esther? Do you know there's one other book that you won't find his name? You know where that's at? Songs of Solomon. You will not find the name of God. But he is 
in the book of Esther. That key word I told you a while ago, you might want to write it down, and that is the providence of God. Behind the scenes, he is going to be moving kings into place. He's going to be moving queens out of place. Then he's going to, I don't know if anybody plays chess, but you know that you can take a pawn and you can make a queen out of it. Did you know that when you play chess? And you can move that in position and you'll see God do that on both sides of the fence. Now, Satan is playing a chess game with God, but we know, we know he's just playing because we know who's in control. And then he's going to use armies of the Peds and the Mergians, um, uh, the Peds, the Medes and the Persians. He's going to be moving this large army to overtake the Jewish people. And then he's going to dwindle down their size of the army by, by the Jewish people who are going to grow numerously to be able to overtake the Medes and the Persians. So constantly when I thought about the book of Esther, I see God moving players in and out to accomplish his perfect will. That ought to give you confidence that what is ever happening in your life, that God is working behind the scenes, especially, especially to those that love him. So a key word, the providence. The definition of providence would be divine guidance or care in your lives. So God from heaven is directing the destiny of his people and nations to a preferred outcome. That is his preferred outcome. A key verse, you might want to write it down. We'll show it on the screen. Esther 4.14 in the book of Esther. For if you remain silent at this time, Relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. You thought I'd left this out, but, but you and your family will perish. God wants to work through you. And if you will not speak up, he will use someone else. So I, I never worry about someone, let's just say Ricardo, and God tells me to witness to Ricardo. I like to say Ricardo, you know, I know how to roll those R's, Ricardo. Okay, but I don't witness to him like God told me to. Does that mean Ricardo doesn't have a chance? I lose the blessing. By not being obedient to what God has asked me to do. I lose the privilege of being able. It is a privilege to lead someone to glory. And if I don't do it, he may use Reuben right next to him. He will use someone to accomplish his perfect will. To make sure Ricardo hears the truth of God so that he could be saved. So that's what I want you to understand about this verse. God wants to work through you. No one's going to be lost because you, I, I, this is what I believe. This is what I believe. I don't know how many of you believe this, but I really believe this in my heart. If I fail to do the job that I'm supposed to do, God will bring someone else. And he will do the job that God wants him to do. Or she will do the job that God wants him to do. So God may be ready to use you right now to change a lot of things that are happening around you. And in your family. God is controlling all things. Let me at least help you with some complimentary verses that help you see this even clearer. 
Genesis 50, verse 19 through 20. You remember when Joseph was sold into slavery? And then, of course, finally, he became the second in command of the whole world. And then his brothers came and his daddy came to Egypt because there was famine in the land. And then Jacob died, their daddy died, and now there the brothers are before the second most important person in the whole world. And they thought, we're going to die. And here's what he said to them. Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Do you see what God's up to? Even in our poor decisions, he's running it through the meat grinder of his will to accomplish his purpose. And then one more I'd like to remind you of Proverbs 16, one that kind of ties into this thinking. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. So you can make all the plans you want. God has the final say of your plans. So God is in the book of Esther. You just have to put on your spiritual eyes and see what God is up to in the book of Esther. It is not about Esther. I did watch this week. Uh, did anybody watch A Night with the King uh, on the book of Esther? That's an awesome story. But it isn't about Esther. As beautiful as she was, it is about God behind the scenes and about the war that's going on between Satan and God. Second thing I'd like you to think about this morning, God controls, and it's for our time today, who gets power. See, he's moving. He moved King Darius into place because he wants him into place to accomplish his will, even though he doesn't believe in God. Let's look at the first three verses so we read some of the passage in Esther Chapter 1, the first three verses. Now in the days of Ahasuerus, the Ahasuerus who reigned from India to Ethiopia, over 127 provinces, in those days when King Ahasuerus sat on his royal throne in Susa, the citadel, in the third year of his reign, he gave a feast for all his officials and servants, the army of Persia and Mede, and the nobles and governors of the provinces were before him. Well, I just want to say something about the king that God just moved, moved into place to accomplish his will. In some of your translations, it says Xerxes. In some of your translations, it says Ahasuerus. They're the same person. Just like Yeshua is who? In English, or in Jesus. And so when you're reading in the NIV, or you're reading in another translation, the ESV, or the New King James Version, this is the same king. Exerces is his Greek name. Now, this king was assigned by God. I'm going to give you a couple passages to verify that, including leaders of today. In Romans 13, here's what the Scripture teaches us in verse 1. Let every person... Be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. 
Let me read one from the book of Daniel in the Old Testament also. Daniel 4, 17. As he was prophesying about the king of Babylon. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers. The decision by the word of the holy ones. To the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. I want to make a point this morning. It may sound like a political point, but when you just talk about life in general, everything seems to be political. So God places rulers, kings, presidents, important people in their position, even if they're wicked. I want you to think about something, food for thought. Yes, we would love to have Christians in important positions. But don't rule out that God will use a wicked person to accomplish his will. All we have to do is go to the book of Genesis and see where God used the wicked Pharaoh and used him to bless God's people, the Jewish people. God, down to the corridors of history, has used wicked kings like King Cyrus in the book of Esther, which actually is Xerxes' grandfather. He used Xerxes to show favor towards who? God's people. In the same book, Darius is used to show favor towards God's people, even though he is a wicked king. He used the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, to show favor towards God's people. I've said this before during the political season. If you have two pharaohs, one under Moses that wants to kill God's people, he's wicked, he thinks he's God, he worships many gods, but he wants to kill the Jewish people. And then you have a, a pharaoh under Joseph who is kind to God's people. He blesses God's people, feeds God's people, worship your God. In fact, you guys are so brilliant. Put people in my administration. I ask you this morning, which one would you put in office? So what I'm asking you to do is use your spiritual eyes this morning during this political season. I'm not advancing any candidates. I'm asking you to look at the wicked people and see if these wicked people have God's purpose in mind. And if they do, it's because behind the scenes, God is moving that person in the place to accomplish his perfect will. And don't you write that person off as a person to be in a position of power. That's exactly the situation we're in in the book of Esther. He's a wicked king. He's for the Medes and the Persians. He's going to consent to wiping out the small remaining Jews that went into captivity that the Babylonians conquered. And all of a sudden, you're going to see how God begins to show favor. And turn those kings' minds to show favor toward the Jewish people and the Christians. 
Use your spiritual eyes, believers, and don't get caught up in the political jargons. There are people that are wicked that favor believers. Okay, that was a side note, free of charge. This king had a big empire. Perhaps we might be able to show it on the screen. It's, it's a large empire. By the way, it was the largest known empire of that time that had been conquered by military conquest. All that area, the Medes and the Persians controlled, and King Xerxes was over. He thought he was God. Now, the placement of this king in the Old Testament, I just want you to think about this. Remember, when you read Ezra, his grandfather, King Cyrus, is in charge. He just conquered the Babylonians. War does make an impact in this book. And so he, he conquered the Babylonians, and then his son, which is Xerxes' daddy, King Darius, is also in the book of Esther, sandwiched. Between that is Xerxes and Nehemiah. And uh, in the book of, uh, of Esther, you're going to find out that King Xerxes is out for revenge because his daddy, King Darius, wanted to take over the known world. You saw over there, it, it spread all the way to West Asia, and he wanted to take over Greece also. And so his dad went to war and lost at a big battle called the Battle of Marathon. And he wanted to revenge his father. And that's why in Ezra chapter 1, you begin to see the king throwing a big party, a, f a feast for 180 days. That doesn't mean the same people sat at the same table for 180 days. He was moving important players in and out, showing the wealth of his kingdom and the potential to be able to go to war. He wanted to enlist their help. He needed them to sanction what he was about to do, and that was take revenge on the Greeks. And we're going to find that war between chapter 1 and chapter 2. And so I just wanted you to know exactly what's happening in the world at that time. God is moving people into place. The king had a purpose. He wanted revenge. But there's also other people in the book of Esther that wanted revenge. And I'm sure Jacob will bring this out next week when he talks about Haman and Mordecai. But just a quick peek. You see, Haman comes from the line of King Agag which Saul was told to wipe out the Amalekites, of which King Agag was king of. And, uh, of course, Saul didn't do that. And so, guess what? Haman is a descendant of Agag. And he's, he can't stand the Jewish people. He hates them. And so this is happening behind the scenes, this hatred, this revenge. And he wants revenge that the book begins to reveal to you and me what he's up to. And then, of course, Mordecai comes into play. But let me just read verse 6 to help you understand what's happening. Chapter 3, verse 6. But Mordecai is involved in this too. He, but he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone because he found out he was Jewish. So as they made known to him the people of 
Mordecai, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews, the people of Macedonia, throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus. So really the book is about God getting ready to deliver his people from the tyranny of the Medes and the Persians, but actually of Satan who desires to destroy God's people. War and revenge is talked about in this book. Now, God is in the book of Esther. God puts people in position of power, but God controls powerful people. God controls powerful people. Proverbs 19, 21. Many are the plans in the mind of man. Just think about King Xerxes right now. But it is the purposes of the Lord that will stand. So he's planning. He's thinking about what he wants to do. But it's his poor decisions, his rebellious decisions, are going to be run through the meat grinder of God's will, and it's going to accomplish his purpose. But he doesn't get blessed by it. But you and me, if we are obedient, we will be blessed by even our poor decisions and our good decisions because God will run it through the meat grinder of his will, and it will accomplish his purposes, and you will be blessed in the process. Just think about Saul and David. Remember, the people wanted a king. So he said, go ahead, have the king you want. And guess what? They pick Saul. I think that's why sometimes we feel that we better elect the right person because we get what we elected, and sometimes that may be true. But just always remember that person in position of power is put there by God. And then God did bring the right person. God did bring the right person into the kingdom, and that was King David. But he will also bring wicked people in those important positions. Remember this, saints. Breaking news. Every kingdom on the face of this earth is wicked. Every individual is a sinner. All are unrighteous. All have gone astray. There's not a bunch of godly kings and queens and presidents and leaders out there. So if you have a heart attack and all you have a choice between two lost people, but one doctor, a cardiologist, has about 3,000 hours of of uh, working on your hearts and hearts of other people, and one guy has about 20 hours, which one are you going to? Or you have a saint, a saint that's just getting his start and has, you know, maybe about 150 hours, and you have a renowned cardiologist who's known all over the world, and you have a choice, which one are you going to pick? The heathen? Because God can guide those heathen hands to fix you up and put you back together again. So don't write off people that are wicked, that are in important positions. Look with your saintly eyes and see, do they fear God, even though they won't worship him? Cyrus feared God. Darius feared God. Nebuchadnezzar feared God. All throughout the scripture, we have wicked people that feared God, and he used them for his glory and for his purposes. Well, this king, of course, wanting to show revenge and wanting to assemble an army, and wanting to go to war. He shows off everything, and this leads to pride. Esther 1.4. While he showed the riches of his royal glory and the splendor and pomp of his greatness for many days, 180 days. 
You know, we see a lot of pride in the media. We see that in politics, but we also see that with athletes. We see that with singers. We see that with entertainers. Esther 1.8 tells us this pride led to worldly living. And drinking was according to this edict. There was no compulsion, for the king had given orders to all the staffers of the palace to do as each man desired. So the king was having a party, and during the last week, seven days, everybody could drink as much as they wanted. This leads to fleshly misconduct. Not necessarily the drinking. There's two sayings I've always taught my family. Two sayings. They'll probably remember them like the back of their hand. Moderation in everything but sin. You can, you can take that to the bank. Moderation in everything but sin. The other one was, and we'll get to that in a moment, I wanted my children to grow in wisdom and stature in favor with God and with man. Those two things were staples in our homes as we prayed over our kids and talked about those two things. Because, you see, if you don't teach those things, it leads to fleshly behavior. Now, here's, do you want to know what fleshly behavior is like? I mean, do I need to really tell you? But let's at least look at a passage of Scripture. Galatians 5. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not Inherit the kingdom of God. That's why we want to be holy. No one can see God unless they become holy. But remember, God will give you the gift of holiness. He will give you the gift of holiness if you will repent of your sins and put your trust in Jesus Christ that he died and rose again. He will give you righteousness and you'll become holy. He'll stamp you holy. It is a gift from God. But this king is a wicked king. He's a fleshly king. And he's leading all his kingdom into this kind of activity. And it leads to some unreasonable request. He wants to show off his wife, Esther 1.10. In this kind of drunken stupor, and his whole kingdom is like that. On the seventh day when he heard that the king was merry with wine, he commanded, bring Queen Vashti before the king with her royal crown in order to show the people's of the princess, her beauty, for she was lovely to look at. But when the attendees delivered the king's command, Queen Vashti refused to come. Then the king became furious and burned with anger. Notice what this kind of state of mind will bring on. It's kind of like getting behind the wheel with this kind of mindset, thinking nothing will happen. Your pride showing off. And lies are at stake because of your conduct and your behavior. This is exactly what happened in this kingdom. He's drunk. All his friends are drunk, which leads to him wanting to show off his wife. Now, his wife was having a party at the same time. We don't know what kind of party, so I don't want to throw her under the bus. It says in Esther 119, though, in response 
to the king's request. She refused to come. So what does the king do? He goes to his buddies and says, what should I do since my wife, the queen, refused to come and show off in front of all my buddies and, and all my leaders? Well, remember when you are making poor decisions outside the will of God and you begin to seek counsel. It bothers me when you begin to seek ungodly counsel. You can hear whatever you want if you seek counsel when you are in a sinful state of mind. I love Psalms 1. Blessed is the man, and I reverse it, that sits, stands, and walks with the godly people. And here's what happens with this king being in this kind of mindset and the counsel that he got from his buddies. Kind of reminds me of the counsel that Rehoboam got after his daddy ran one of the greatest empires ever known to mankind, the Davidic Solomonic heir. Now he's about to take over the throne. He doesn't listen to the wise people. He listens to his buddies that he grew up with. And this is exactly what the king does. He listens to these younger people. He says, therefore, if it pleases the king, let him issue a royal decree and let it be written in the laws of the Persia and the Mede, which cannot be repealed, that Vashi is never again to enter the presence of King Xerxes. Also, let the king give her royal position to someone else who is better than she. You see what kind, when you're living in a sinful state, it will lead to poor decisions. It will lead to poor counsel. And ultimately, you'll live with that regret. So showing off left him divorcing his wife because he listened to the counsel of others. God is in control of the book of Esther, moving people in and out to accomplish his will, to save his people, to preserve his people, or perhaps to accomplish his will in your life. You think that ungodly boss is in control, and you're living a godly life. Look at the life of Joseph, having one ungodly boss after another, yet God moved him in position to accomplish his perfect will. He cares about you. He cares about the birds of the air and the lilies of the field. Aren't you much more important than these? So don't think he's just doing it for the so-called big shots in the Bible. He does it for little shots like you and me. Last thing I'd like to bring to your attention. Not only is God in control of the book of Esther. God puts people in position of power. God controls the powerful people. But also, God controls Ordinary people like you and me. So we open up chapter 2. What happens was not known to you after chapter 1, around 480, 480, a couple years later, he goes to war, King Xerxes, and he wants to conquer the world. And he gets defeated. I watched the movie last night called, how many have ever seen The 300 Spartans? It's a great, great 1962 flick that talks about this very situation, about the Spartans 
literally almost defeating a giant empire. They eventually get defeated, but they were also uh, not only defeated, it bought them time until the Greeks could unite and beat them in a big, big naval battle. And so he came home with his, with his tail tucked between his legs, did not, was not able to bring revenge for his daddy, and then on top of that, he has no queen. And so we open up chapter 2 where his young servants tell him to go and look for a bride. And so in Esther 2, 8, we're going to see God, God directing a contest. I call it a contest. He's directing the searching, Esther 2, 8. When the king's order and edict had been proclaimed, many young women were brought to the citadel of Susa and brought under the care of Haggaiah. So there's a, a beauty contest going on. I call it that because that's what it was. Whether they went willingly or unwillingly, it seems like they were more taken than going willingly, but we don't know 100% for sure on that. But they, so, the, so God is directing this search. He puts it in their minds, in that palace, to go look for a beautiful girl that he has in mind to become the queen that was taken out that he's going to put in place himself. He's going to bring in a new queen. All these decisions run through the gridiron or the meat grinder of God's will coming out to accomplish his purposes. So he's directing the searching. He's directing the find. It says in Esther, Esther was taken to the king's palace and entrusted to Higiah, who had charge of the harem. So you don't think God made sure that they found Esther, I've said this to my son many times when he was working with me, that his, his name is Joshua and Megan, my daughter, and he was here many times, and we were talking about him becoming pastor here one day, and, and I said, don't worry about it, or becoming pastor one day. I said, don't worry about it. God knows your address. He knows where you live. He knows how to get a hold of you. So if you're, you're really looking for something in your life, have you ever wanted to, have you ever prayed to win a contest? Have you ever prayed to win something? I have done that so that I might bring glory to God. Lord, do you want me to win this pickleball match so I can share the gospel of Jesus Christ? I really mean that. Because if you're a poor loser or you don't, if you lose all the time, sometimes that doesn't get the attention of the other great players. God doesn't need your great game. I understand that. I've played golf with some very prominent people, and I asked God to let me play a good golf game. I played the best golf game I, I, can, I can ever remember playing, and I sat with one important person after another, and I was able to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ with these people one being the president of Kaiser. And there were some hurting people out there. So God may do that at times. Lay everything before God. He may use that circumstance to accomplish his perfect will. He was directing Xerxes' servants to make sure they found her. The only problem I have now, right now, is with Esther and Mordecai. Now, I bring this up for a reason. Because... I want you to see what God will take maybe the poor decisions you make and the good decisions you make 
And so it will match Romans 8.28 that all things will work out for the good to them, to them that love God. Now, in the scripture, it says that Mordecai and Esther kept quiet about their Christianity. I know it wasn't Christianity. I'm making it relevant today. They were quiet that they were Jewish people. Remember, his granddad had already permitted the Jewish people to go back and build the temple, and they did in 515. But they were not public about their faith. Some theologians try to say they knew what was happening, but the scripture indicates they did not know. Because Esther 4.14 tells us, how do you know you've become queen for such a time as this that you may, you may save your people? They were quiet about their faith. Remember what Jesus told the Jewish people in Matthew 10? So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will deny my Father who is in heaven. Esther and Mordecai don't get a pass at this. They were weak in their faith. That didn't mean they didn't love God or fear God. We'll see that growing throughout the book of Esther. But on the onset, I don't see that. And you're going to see it in another place also. But I want you to put that in your mind because some of you, we have made poor decisions. We have not represented our Lord in certain situations, perhaps with our kids or our grandkids or you're in school or in your neighborhood. God can take that situation and make something good out of it like he did with Esther and Mordecai. I want you to see something else that's very important is the favor that Esther has. Three times in chapter 2, you'll see this. And let me read them to you. First, she has favor with Haggai in 2.9. Entrusted to Haggai, who had charge of the harem, she pleased him and won his favor. Then with all who saw her in 2.15. When the turn came for Esther, the young woman Mordecai had adopted, the daughter of his uncle, Abihail, to go to the king, she asked for nothing other than what Haggai, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the harem, suggested. And Esther won the favor of everyone who saw her. One more time, this phrase is mentioned. Now the king, in, in verse 17, now the king was attracted to Esther more than to any of the other women, and she won his favor and approval more than any of the other virgins. So he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Esther. Who do you think is causing this king to like this queen? Esther might have taken, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm hot stuff. I'm beautiful. It was God behind the scenes that caused the king to like her more than all the other girls because she was Jewish. And he wanted to put her in a very important position so she could make a very important decision that would spare the life of his people. Something else she did, though, I want to bring to your attention. So, by the way, just pause. Again, I've always prayed that for my family. I've prayed that for those who need a job, those who need a spouse. God, will you give this resume favor with all who look upon this resume? We believe that, that God can direct 
that person who makes that very important decision to be attracted to your resume and other decisions that you're going through that you need favor with other people, please don't hesitate to pray that prayer. The one thing that I wanted to bring to your attention also is Esther's decision to go to bed with the king. Everyone wants to make Esther and Mordecai out to be great, great saints. And it's an awesome book of Esther's godliness. If you really read deeply with spiritual eyes, they hid their faith. And Vashti actually had more courage at that time than Esther because she would not go parade herself before all these ungodly people. But she had to compromise her morals. Now remember, you said, well, did she have a chance? Yes, she did. So did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have a chance to renounce their faith and, and worship the king? And, and so did Daniel. Don't pray, Daniel. Don't get on your knees and pray to your God. If you don't, your life will be spared. So we have characters in the Bible that's made life and death situations. Esther did not make a wise decision. She could have said, I'm not going to do that because I love God. Because remember, the scripture says she, she went to bed and then in the morning she came back. Why did I bring this out? To dump on Esther? No. To show you that God uses people, ordinary people like you and me, with some poor decisions that we've made in life. Don't be in despair that God can take that poor decision like Mordecai made, like Esther made, hiding their nationality, going to bed with the king when she could have said no. It might have meant her life. But he took those decisions. He ran it through the meat grinder of his will to accomplish his purpose to make her a queen. Now, that doesn't mean you and me intentionally say, well, I'm going to make this decision. God's going God's to make it work out for the good. No, you'll suffer the consequence if you decide to go against God's will on purpose. So don't make plans to go on sinning. That's not the moral of the story. But that he'll use your poor decisions and my poor decisions, our good decisions, and he'll mush it together like a meat grinder. I used to work at Jack's Old Fashioned Hamburgers where we ran that meat through there, and then out came the burger. Out comes God's glory, his purpose to accomplish what he desires. And so God was in charge of Esther, and he gave her a career. So he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Ashti. That was actual history, and it was a little bit of a different type of message this morning. But what we need to walk away with is the providence of God in your life. He, he knows the number of days that you should live. He knows those numbers. So really, we're not supposed to fret about it. So in between the time you're born until that day, he is accomplishing 
things through your life and my life. And when we look in the rearview mirror, we see it clearly. I know I was talking to some friends last night, telling them how clearly we can see how God's worked in your lives by looking in the rearview mirror. That will serve its purpose when you're looking in the front windshield of life ahead of you. You know that God is working pieces of the puzzle to accomplish His His will. And just remind you one thing and then we'll close. Again, I wanted a career. I wanted to go to college with a ninth grade education. Isn't it weird that I'm sleeping, I have a trailer back in 1978. I locked my keys in the trailer. I have no career, I'm just working at restaurants, different jobs. Everybody says I'm going to be a pastor. I have nothing going for me. I lock my keys in the trailer. I walk about a couple miles down the road and I go to this church called Lifeline Baptist Church. The pastor got talking to me. Within a couple months, he saw the gift of preaching in me, licensed me into the ministry, and got me into a college called Washita Baptist University. Now, when I look in the rearview mirror, I could have been very angry. I locked my keys in the trailer so I couldn't get in my car to go down to church. But I was determined still to go to church. Can you see with the story I just told you how behind the scenes God took all those poor decisions, me forgetting to get my keys before I went out of the house, leading me to a decision. Remember, it's God that's at work in you, causing you to hunger and thirst after righteousness. He's causing me to say, hey, God, I want you to still go to church with God's people. And to go down to the church and to meet the pastor, Dr. Gerald Taylor, I'll never forget his name, who then went on to license me in the ministry. They listened to him. Hey, you need to take this young rookie with a ninth grade education. You need to take him into college. What? He's only got a GED? He's coming to this school? Take him. God's anointing's on him. I don't know all that he said. I said that story not to talk so much about myself, but about you. I don't know what you are going through right now. But believe what you hear in the story of Esther and what has been preached to you this morning, that the providential hand of God is leading you to that guy you're going to marry, that girl you're going to marry, if you decide you want his will. He's still going to accomplish his will, whether you reject it or not. But you'll get blessed in the way if you let God be in charge. That illness that you're going through, The greatest thing is God wants to make himself known in your illness that you're going through. I believe that with all my heart. And so I pray right now, Father, in the name of Jesus. Not only do I have a close brother that's sick, but there are people here that are ill and hurting and sick. And they hear all these things and they wonder what you're up to. And so I'm praying right now, Father, that they might know that they're very important in your kingdom. You died for that person and you have a plan for them even when they're sick, even when they're ill. I pray that the comfort of heaven will be poured out like oil on their heads, their brains, their spirits, their emotions that they'll know that you're in charge. It is appointed on men once to die and after this to judgment. 
that they may sense your closeness, they may sense your spirit, because you knew what it was like to be in the garden. You knew what it was like to be hurting, in agony, and yet you give us a picture that the angels came and comforted you, Jesus, when you were in the garden. Would you bring comfort upon your hurting people? Would you bring hope? Would you bring health? Would you bring healing? Is the saint's prayer to you this morning, Father, for the people that are hurt, looking in online or present here this morning? And then, of course, if you're here this morning, I want you to look up here as you stand at this time. Would you stand? God created you. You and me. We rebelled against him. We deserve judgment and hell. And there's no way we can fix our problem. But God did something about it by sending his son to this planet. All God, all man, lived a perfect life, was brutally beaten, nailed to a cross for our sins, was buried, but rose again. And God said, he fixed your problem. If you believe my son did that for me, I'll heal you. The biggest healing you need right now, if you're looking at online or here this morning, is being healed spiritually. I've heard this by great doctors, that if you are healed spiritually, you may get healed physically. In fact, James alludes to that. So today, if you've not given your life to Christ, put your confidence in Jesus alone. If you need prayer, I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come to the front at this time. We're here to really genuinely pray for you. Let's read the scripture pray with you. If you need more counseling after that, Jacob and I will be available to minister to you. But if you're hurting this morning, please come forward and let people, let the saints pray for you. Would you come as God leads you this morning? Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. If this has blessed you, would you consider giving a financial gift to help bring this message to more people? You can do that at vlcministries.com slash give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Here's what we believe. Living God's way. Everywhere, every way, every day. We love you and God bless.